This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now on to today's episode. Okay, on today's episode, we are welcoming my good friend Neil Napier to the show. Neil hails from Finland and has been running KV Social for over three years now. KV Social offers a full suite of social media marketing services for your business. On top of running KV Social, Neil is an expert in copywriting, team building, webinars, paid traffic, and outsourcing. But that's not our focus today. Today we're going to chat about Neil's most recent project in business and the things he learned from building a team. Neil's newest business is JobRack.eu. JobRack finds job seekers that specialize in many online tasks from Eastern Europe. For business owners, especially digital entrepreneurs, there's been a rush of hiring Eastern Europeans for many different reasons, for many different jobs. Neil saw an opportunity and decided to capitalize on it. We'll go more into depth about this recent phenomenon and the importance of team building. First, I want to welcome my friend Neil Napier to the show. How's it going, Neil? Hey, Chris. Doing well, thanks. Good. Uh, Neil, we want to start off today by talking uh, a bit about your background, who you are, and how you became the entrepreneur today. So can you share a bit of that? Sure. Um, For me, it was actually quite accidental. Like I know a lot of people, you know, when they're young, they have this lemonade stand kind of little business when they're kids. But for me, it was completely accidental much later in life. So at about, uh, you know, age of 20, 24, I think it was, I found myself about to lose a job that I was quite happy with. And uh, I basically had no out. So at that time, I was staying in the UK. And uh, I had to get, I had to basically make £8,000 in six months to be able to even apply to stay in the country. So it was quite a difficult situation for me. And at that time, I found out that, you know, my company was going to let me go. So really, it all kind of came crashing down for me. You know, I really went back to drawing board and thought about what I wanted to do. And a friend recommended doing some kind of writing. So I thought, you know, because I was good at writing, so I thought, okay, why not start doing writing for some people? So I signed up on on, uh, Upwork, which was Odesk back then, and started getting these four or five dollars an hour contracts to do writing for other people. And it was good for a while, but then I realized I was trading time for money. And four or five bucks an hour while you're living in the UK or then in Finland is not that high. So I slowly switched things over from just doing content writing to doing copywriting. And now instead of getting five bucks an hour, I could get 20 bucks an hour, which was good. It was much better, but still I was in the same boat, you know, doing about 15 hours of work a week at that price and not being able to get enough clients and so really struggling to get to the level where I wanted to be. So eventually I realized that if I had to do something for myself, I had to create something for myself to sell to other people than just offer my services to someone. So, you know, following all of that, we ended up creating KV Social, or rather, I ended up creating KV Social because I realized that really if a change had to happen, I had to create products that people could buy and use in their business. So do you come from an entrepreneur background at all? Like, do you have family members that are entrepreneurs or are you just kind of forging the path on your own? Uh, they're not entrepreneurial at all. I mean, even to this day, and I've had, you know, not, I'm not trying to brag here, but for the last four years, we've done more than a million dollars every year in revenue. But even still to this day, my parents tell me to finish my PhD because <laughs> if everything goes bad, I still have something to fall back on and get a job in academia so you know they, they, they have a very um set mindset on how 
life should be. It was always expected of me that I'll graduate and I'll get a job, which I did. It was always expected that I'll jump through a few companies and then eventually settle on a job that would pay me quite good salary, settle down, you know, have wife and kids and all that jazz. I mean, I still want to settle down and have wife and kids, but not while doing a job for someone else. So, so I've had to face a lot of limiting beliefs of my own, challenges from other people who kept telling me that it couldn't be done or no one in my family has done it. So it's going to be risky, uh, you know, and if I fail, then I'm welcome back, but not with open arms, really. So, you know, <laughs> considering all of that, it was quite tough. It was quite difficult. And did you actually, did you grow up in the UK or did you grow up in India? I grew up in India. Okay. And then how old were you when you uh, moved to the UK? Was it for university? I was, yeah, it was for university. So I was 17. I had an option. My uncle, my granduncle was living in the UK at that time. So he invited me to come study in the UK, do my further education there. I got university applications uh, through the door, and I moved to the UK to do my studies there. I know how you feel when it comes to even my parents. You know, I've been an entrepreneur, I guess I started about 10 years ago, and my parents are still, I I get comments when I come back home. You know, when are you going to settle down and get a real job? You know, you're looking for a job these days? Like, no, that's the last thing in the world I'm looking for. Um, so definitely. Know I actually tried. I mean, I'll tell you, I tried for a year in between, between the age of 24, 25. I went back to India because I had a PhD position in Finland and I wanted to come back because I was dating a Finnish girl at that time. But but, you know, all that time while I was there in India, my parents wanted me to keep applying for jobs, keep going for interviews, trying to find something. And really, after doing content marketing for other people, what happened was that I realized that I knew so much more than people who were at the same stage as me in life. And I actually, this funny story, I went to one of the interviews, and uh, that guy interviewed me in India. Uh, he was a business analyst, and he was looking for a junior business analyst. So he was interviewing me with someone else, and by the end of the interview, he said, oh, you should be sitting where I'm sitting right now. I'm like, sure, give me a job. He said, I can't give you my job. So so I had to say no to them for a job that paid lower salary because really I should have gotten the job of the guy who was interviewing me. So that, that's how your mindset changes, I think. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, let's jump into your newest venture, Job Rack, and tell us a bit about it and why you decided to start this business. Sure. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm doing a PhD at the moment and I have been for the last four years. So I have been able to grow this business because I have a really good team working alongside me. Like it wouldn't be where I am without them. So I feel that that is a very, very big asset, which people undervalue, which they feel that they don't need to invest enough time and money into. But it is quite important. And I was actually at DCBKK in 2015, it was, yeah, where in October, and I spoke to a lot of people there about you know, hiring, we were talking about teams, and at that time we had 10 people working for us. And almost everyone we spoke to had had, had negative experience, somewhat negative experience with uh, hiring people from the Philippines. You know, hiring people from the Philippines is great when you're just starting out and you've got a budget of $500 a month to hire someone and outsource work to, but then you grow out of it. I mean, you have to grow out of it because if you don't, you're really stagnating because that level is okay. But then after a certain point, you realize that people are underperforming all the time. Uh, there's loyalty issues, there's internet issues, there's reliability issues. So because of all of that, we realized that we had this same problem. And so did almost everyone I spoke to at BCBKK. So we realized after getting out of that event that there was a big gap in the market, that people wanted to hire people from Eastern Europe, 
because they had heard so many good things about it. They had previously hired people from Eastern Europe and they had turned out to be really good. So entrepreneurs around the world wanted to hire from Eastern Europe, but there wasn't any central resource where they could go and find people of such caliber from that part of the world. So we decided to create something that would fill that gap in the market. And really, you know, people talk about validating an idea. And really, for me, the best thing was talking to about 20, 25 people. And all of them said, yeah, like if there was a source out there that would allow me to, you know, look into the database of people from Eastern Europe, I'll pay for it. So that was big. Yeah, I agree. And anybody, any entrepreneur that's hired out for support before can tell you that, you know, going through the process of having someone headhunt for you and making sure this is a good employee can save you massive amounts of time and money and stress and all of the above. And, um, yeah, I think, I think the idea in the business model is just really great. Um, so yeah, so you, you touched on why people have moved kind of from, uh, outsourcing in Southeast Asia or the Philippines for many reasons. Um, what are some, what are some other attractive traits of Eastern European employees? You know, culturally, people from that part of the world are quite different from U.S. or even Western Europe or Northern Europe or Southeast Asia in that the people there are much more, for lack of a better word, let's say blunt. So they're more up to the point about, you know, how they feel about something or how certain tasks should be done. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I was, it's funny, I was having this conversation with one of my employees still, and I think him and I misunderstand each other a lot of times. But he said to me, uh, you know, at the end of his long message, what happened to my payment? I still haven't received it, question mark. And mm-hmm. to me, that's kind of rude. You know, if you don't say please, <laughs> if you don't say, hey, can you please tell me or can you tell me? That's kind of rude. But that's how they communicate. It's not, it's a cultural thing. To them, it's completely normal. Mm-hmm. So I think for anyone who is working with Eastern Europe people and has been for quite a while, will realize that they have the certain ability to get straight to the point, which is good for me because, you know, I'm from India. So trust me when I say this, I've worked with Indian developers before. And when they tell me yes, it doesn't mean yes. It means maybe if we yeah. can. Yeah. So I know if I, if I talk to them and if I say, will you be able to do this? They say yes, I know they won't. But with Eastern Europe, <laughs> it, it, they will immediately tell me that, uh, yeah, I can, but I will have this problem on the way. Do you think you can help me? And sure, you know, that's what I want to know from people I work with, that if you're going to get stuck, I need to know that beforehand. So in that sense, what is somewhat negative trait, which is being blunt, is actually good in business sense because you know uh, when they will need help. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing that I found is is loyalty. So, you know, when, you, when you're when working from the Philippines, what happens is that there's a big culture there of remote working, of working from home, working for international companies. And uh, everyone knows everyone else and they're in the little circle. So what happens is that when you give someone a job, as they get experience, they use the work that they have done for you to go out there and get another job, uh, a higher paying job. Because someone says, hey, you know, my boss is looking for a content writer. Why don't you come on board and work with us? Why don't you become a graphic designer with us? So they quickly jump ship and move to another company. So we had a big retention problem with Philippines as well in that people weren't really as loyal or reliable as we'd like them to be. But on the other hand, with Eastern Europe, that's actually one of the better things. Because when you give someone a job, you know, they usually take on a job because they are either trying to escape from their nine-to-five work, or they want to work from home to take care of their family or whatever reasons. So they like being in that role. So in that sense, we've had a great track record of actually keeping, uh, I think, about 95% retention rate with people we hire from Eastern Europe. So that reliability and loyalty 
are very, very crucial things. Um, another thing I could say here, I mean, English level, I do admit that those in Philippines are better. If you want someone to do content writing from Eastern Europe, you might find some good ones, but maybe not so great ones. But the good thing is the education system in Eastern, Europe, Eastern European countries. So if you look at technology, which is, you know, based on what we run our business, you have people from Eastern Europe who have great development skill sets in multitude of languages. And they're very affordable as well. And they are critical thinking. So if I work with someone in India, I have to define each and every project spoke, uh, scope and boundary for them. But if I work with someone from Eastern Europe, quite often they're able to critically evaluate their own work, which is good for me because I don't want to micromanage. I don't want to look at every little line of code that they've written and tell them that this could have been done better. They have, uh, the, let's say, the experience of going through their own work enough times so that they know that something could be done better. So even if they can't, at least they will realize that it could be done better in the next iteration. So in that sense, you know, personally, I've had great working experience with working people from Eastern Europe because the kind of work they deliver is head and shoulders above the rest. Excellent. So let's jump in a little bit and talk about team building and some tactics used for that. So you're kind of creating a little Eastern European movement and amongst the entrepreneurs that you and I both know, quite a few people I think have, have hired some Eastern Europeans just because of what you have started here. I want to dive into the idea, kind of the, the, the passion or what, what inspired you to do it because you knew there was a gap in the market. But what does it feel like to, to create something that has added so much value to a lot of friends of yours, businesses, and then many other people's uh, that you don't know, their business too? Um, it is very, very important. And I, you know, I'll tell you this, I'll, I'll circle back to this, but what's even more important is that we've been able to, with JobRack, create hundreds of new jobs for people in Eastern Europe. Mm. So, number one, that's a very, very big thing for me. My goal with this is that we can take this as a movement, not just amongst our friends or our colleagues, but also Eastern Europe. Like, I know my partner and I were talking about this, that perhaps the coming summer or the summer after that, we'd love to do a road trip in Eastern Europe for obvious fun reasons. But at the same time, visit a lot of universities and tell them about JobRack. Basically, show them the value of working remotely, working online for one of these businesses uh, that is based out of U.S. or Europe or even Southeast Asia. So I'm very happy for starters that, you know, Eastern Europe is quite close to me. It's just a flight away uh, from Finland. And I'm happy that we're adding a lot of value to that part of the world as well. That's number one. The second thing is businesses. I mean, there are so many other businesses like ours who struggle with, you know, hiring people or managing people. So I'm really happy that we can come in and not just help businesses find the right kind of people from Eastern Europe, but also, you know, share tips and tricks with them on how to manage these people well or how to build a team effectively. So it's, it's, very, uh, it's very empowering for me, I'll say this, when someone who has a much bigger business than I do approaches me and says, hey, we found a really good person from JobRack for our company, thank you so much. We'll come back to this again in a couple of months when we're expanding, you know? And that's that's a very, I mean, you know, personally, it feels really good. But at the same time, I feel happy that uh, what they did with our business is helping their business in return. So that's a, it's a very uh, satisfying feeling. And of course, it, that is the whole idea that, you know, businesses out there want to grow and they want to hire the right people to grow as well. That's incredible. Uh, how many jobs have you created for um, Eastern Europeans now, do you know? 
By our approximate count, I think over 75 people have been hired via JobRack already. Uh-huh. And there are more than 100 or so jobs already listed on JobRack. Nice. That's incredible. It's a little movement going, that's it for sure. Any that's chance true. that when you do that road trip through Eastern Europe, you'll be doing it on motorcycles? Because I think I would like to uh, join. <laughs> I can't ride a motorcycle. Actually, I can't even drive. So uh, Stephen might have to take a follow of that. But by all means, we could. If we get one of those scooties from Thailand, uh-huh. I'm game. So, yeah, I, yeah but, that that might work. I'm, I I think I would like to join on that trip if if you guys have an extra spot. Um, <laughs> let's dig into team building a little bit more and strategies for team building. What are some key points or ticks, tricks or tips that you have? off the top of your head, because I know the, the idea behind these podcasts here, we're talking about people that are building some mm-hmm. type of movement and, and have created successful businesses. So you're good at building teams and building teams from different cultures too. So maybe two or three uh, must do's or hacks that you could give the audience for building teams. Sure. I'll share something different than usual, actually. A couple I know at the top of my head. So one of the first things is KPIs, which is key performance indicators. So that's something we're building in our company at the moment. And we have used it in past, but quite in a very raw fashion. Key performance indicators are basically numbers that help you determine whether or not a certain aspect of your business or your complete business is doing well or not. So, for example, uh, you know, let's say the amount of revenue you make every year is a KPI. If that number is going up, your business is doing well. The amount of money you spend on advertising is a KPI. If you're spending less but still making the same amount of money, you know, you're doing well. Your company is doing well. It's the same way you can evaluate each employee's performance as well. So let's say if you have a content marketer in our company and her job is to, you know, create some great pieces of content for our blog and at the same time share that with social on social media uh, you know, reach out to influencers and so on. So what we did in this case was instead of us coming up with KPIs, we made our our employees responsible for their KPIs. And we wanted them to come to us and tell us how should we judge their performance, you know. So we, for example, in this case, I had this conversation with her and she said, okay, I'd like to look at the traffic numbers. So if the traffic is going up, I'm doing my job. If it's not, maybe I didn't do something right. I want to look at how many new influencers we have, basically establish a relationship with and that's a good metric as well and i want to look at basically how many guest posts we have done in a month and if that number is going up or you know relatively steady then we're doing a good job so looking at at those three numbers i know that i can basically measure her performance with a single number and if that number is going up great if not well we can have a talk and see what can i do to help her do her job better so kpis have been a big part of our business you know again in a more raw fashion now we are standardizing it more, we are making it simpler, and we're making our employees responsible for that part of the business as well. So that's the first thing I would recommend. Everyone does that to get some perspective on how and in which direction the business is going. That's number one. The second thing is time tracking. Now, you know, it's, it's funny because I've had debates about this, whether or not you should track time because it's too much big brother-like. If you look at someone's screenshots, you know, while they're working or after they have worked, well, you don't trust them enough. And sure, I completely get that. But personally, I like to look at the screenshots. And, you know, there are a few reasons why I think it's a good thing. See, number one, if you are looking at someone's screenshots, it's not just because you don't trust them. 
but it has happened to us in past where people have been doing multiple jobs while logging time for us. And that's a big problem. I mean, cheating is a big problem. So you want to catch that before it's too late. Because it happened to me once that I ended up paying someone for over two months when going back to realize that they were just doing nothing, watching YouTube videos, uh, listening to Spotify and so on. So that was a big waste for us. The second thing is that it helps me understand where our employees are slow and need help. The thing is, sometimes they won't come to you immediately and say, I can't do this, or this is difficult for me, or I can't move fast enough, can you help me? Sometimes they just don't want to do that. But looking at the screenshots, if I can estimate if they're spending too much time on a particular task, I can have a talk with them and say, okay, I know this is maybe what's slowing you down. Let's talk about it and see how we can improve. So that's been a big value add for me as well. And I think I would always recommend everyone to do that. The third thing is that it makes productivity quantifiable. So, you know, people, some people like to look at tasks alone, like how many tasks have been done. If you're hitting the KPIs, great. And that's all well and good. But sometimes it helps me to also look at, you know, how active someone is while they're working. Because when you are working alone uh, from home and you're working remotely, unfortunately, it's easy to fall in the trap of just watching TV on the side or chatting with someone on the side or just taking too many frequent breaks and walking around and doing nothing for some time. So, you know, time tracking gives me that insight, which I otherwise wouldn't get. So that's the second thing that I think everyone should do within their business. And the third thing is processes. I mean, you know, it's boring. It's downright painful to create a new process for something. I, I hate doing it. So what I do is I simply ask my employees to do it. And then I say, when you're done, give it to me and I'll improve it if I think something is out of place. So that way it puts the responsibility on them. Mm. They are the creator. And that way, you know, once we have process written down, if we do hire someone else uh, to replace that person or to add to that person's job, then that person can easily get up and running with as well. So again, KPIs, time tracking and processes are the three critical functions that I think any business, a successful business should have. Good. Uh, Neil, do you uh, have your employees write out your SOPs too, or is that uh, something separate from the regular processes? We do get them to write the SOPs too. For example, this content marketer, um, she does much more content posting than I ever do, I've ever done. So she has much more experience in that. So I simply asked her that if she could write down uh, a, basically um, a worksheet for someone who, let's say, has just joined us and we post a blog post and they want to go and spread it all on social media. What should they do? So she wrote about a six-page document talking about how to log and create an account in all these different places and post, you know, and do it relevantly. So so that way, you know, it's easy for me to give it to someone who's far more experienced in that job than I am. And I prefer to have those kind of people around me who can do things better than I can mm-hmm. because then it really makes sense. You know, they complement what I do. Yeah, I, I love how you gave a, an incredibly analytical and measurable answer to team building because my mind I never would have um, thought about a lot of those things when it comes to team building or um, you know giving tips and and hacks about team building so that's awesome stuff okay Neil I think that's gonna be a wrap for us that was great uh, a great great interview is there anything you'd like to add before we sign off today Neil Um, sure just one thing a lot of you know, smaller businesses, let's say freelancers, even I would start with them, they're afraid to hire someone else to, you know, to offload some of their work. And it it comes down to giving up control because I know that some people feel that, 
only they can do the job that they want to do, no one else really can. And I do agree that, you know, I don't think anyone can ever do a job in a manner that I would. But at the same time, it is much better for me to hire someone and free up some of my time and focus my time on strategy and business growth than actually in operations. So, you know, for a growing business, for a business that is starting to be successful, I would strongly recommend that you hire someone out and delegate some of your operational tasks so that you don't get, you know, backed down by all of that. So that's a, it's, it's a very, very important thing that a lot of people delay too much because they feel that, you know, I'm going to hire a VA. And, and I'll also tell you this, VA is not the first hire you should do. The first hire you should do is a manager because a manager is someone who can or someone who can grow to be a manager because a manager is someone then who can hire other people under them as well. If you hire, again, if you hire a $3 VA from the Philippines, what's going to happen is that they'll get good at one thing and then you have to hire another person to do another thing and then that way you end up you know, having to manage five or ten people under you and that's very chaotic. But if you hire a project manager first, you can eventually make it their responsibility to hire someone else under them to get something done. So that way you don't get, again, bogged down by the entire process. That's you know just something I think people should remember when they are working to grow their business. I love that. That's, that's awesome. That's such a great idea. Okay, my friend, thank you so much for coming on the show, Neil. Thank you for uh, offering the audience and everybody your advice and letting us get behind the mind of Neil Napier. And thanks for being a friend. And can you tell the listeners if they want to reach out to you where they can find you at? Sure thing. I think Facebook is the best way. So just look for Neil Napier and uh, you'll hopefully find me soon. Uh, but also, you know, if you need to, I think, uh, Chris, if you can leave a link to the blog or something or our website, then people can find us through that as well. Absolutely. We'll do that in the show notes. Neil, thanks again for coming on the show. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. And that's a wrap for today. Bye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those that are in the Entrepreneur House, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, we have three different events, a three-day productivity weekend in different cities all around the world, a two-week all-inclusive retreat for entrepreneurs with six-figure businesses. This will be full of workshops, masterminds, and adventure. Then a four-week event in Chiang Mai, Thailand for established entrepreneurs, also full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. These events will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested in have some questions be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact we will respond as soon as possible for now saludos from somewhere in the world